Hey, what's up, folks? Thanks for listening to the Aaron J. Dotson podcast. This is the podcast where I discuss the sacred text of God's Word, and I do my best to help myself and others understand it so that we might keep God's law and we might observe it with our whole hearts. In this episode of my podcast, I'm going to continue the theme of the book of Matthew. We're looking at Matthew chapter 16, and often I will select just one unit or one section within each chapter. I don't cover the entire chapter. And for this episode, I've considered or I've decided to cover Matthew 16 verses 13 through 20. Matthew 16 13 through 20. And I'm going to kind of take this uh, particular podcast in a topical way. We're going to consider the context and the text itself, but then I'm going to handle it in a topical way where I uh, make some points and ask some questions that uh, I hope and pray that others who are not members of the Church of Christ will hear and will consider very carefully. The uh, title of this episode is called, I Will Build My Church, and that comes from Matthew 16, 18. Keep in mind that Matthew is the gospel account written by a Jew to Jews about a Jew, Jesus. Matthew is the writer, and the Jews, his countrymen, they are the original recipients, and Jesus Christ is his subject. And Matthew, his purpose is to present Jesus as the king of the Jews, the long-awaited Messiah. And so he does this uh, through a carefully selected series of Old Testament quotations. He documents Jesus' claims to be the Messiah. He details his genealogy, his baptism, his messages, his ministry, his miracles, all of that. And all of those truths that he record point to the same inescapable conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the King. Matthew 16 has some uh, detail about the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to test Jesus and, um, and also Jesus warning the disciples that they needed to beware of the leaven of bread regarding the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Matthew 16, 13, Matthew records, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. So Jesus proclaimed, and this is obviously before his death, toward the middle, toward the, you know, 
midway, three-fourths mark of his ministry, I will build my church. The question is, did he? Because Luke records in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, that the Lord, that would be Jesus, added to the church daily those who are being saved. And that's a record of what happened in A.D. 30 on the day of Pentecost. Now, what I want to do in this episode is, in a topical way, consider the church and expose some of the common errors of denominationalism. But before I do that, I want us to consider verse by verse a few things to help us appreciate this context. So Jesus is in the region of Caesarea Philippi, which is in northern Galilee. And he's in an area, he's, it's, it's actually north of Galilee, it's closer uh, toward Mount Hermon. And it's an area that was known for its paganism and its idols. And uh, if you look up online the, uh, the, the geography, the, the, the background where this took place, uh, there's a common area where a lot of folks believe uh, Jesus made these statements, you know, where this event took place. And so it would have been significant for Jesus to say, in, in the context of, yeah, all these different gods and religions have their people, their place of worship. I'm going to build my group of people, my called out group of people. So it would have been uh, historically, culturally, and in, in, a, in, a, in a way of geography, an, an interesting and profound statement for him to make because of where he said it. And I encourage you to, to look into that more, do some cultural and, and background study in that, in that regard. Jesus asked a question. He often asked questions for man's contemplation. He obviously didn't ask questions for information. God doesn't ask questions for information. He already knows the information, uh, the answers to the questions that he asks. But he no doubt asked the question uh, for man's contemplation. He asked the question to the disciples, who do people, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Son of Man was a phrase uh, that would emphasize and denote his humanity. The prophet Ezekiel used that language of himself in his time, uh, 500-something years before, emphasizing his humanity and his relationship to God as God's child, as God's son. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? What... What, what's the talk on the street? What's the word on the street about me? And their answer was, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. That would have been a good thing in the sense that these were godly people and they were known to be faithful and loyal to God. They preached God's will. They suffered, and yet they remained faithful to God. They worked hard for God. So to, to say that some were saying he was one of them was not a terrible thing. It was a good thing. But yet, it certainly was not right, and it was not uh, denoting or getting at the true identity of Jesus, which deserved much more honor, praise, and glory than being merely a prophet. 
Jesus asked them another question. Who do you? Okay. Who do, what do people say? Who do people say that I am? What, what's the word on the street about my identity? And they say, and he says, but who do you say that I am? So this was a, this was a question and a test for them to make them think and to respond. Who do you say that I am? What do you believe about my true identity? Simon Peter often spoke up first. His response, you are the Christ. The word Christ um, is an English word, translation from Christos, the Greek word for anointed, the Christ, which corresponds, which reflects the Hebrew word Messiah, the anointed one of God, the promised one of God. You are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, was Peter's response. Jesus blesses Simon for saying this, Simon bar Jonah. I think that denotes son of Jonah, Simon's son of Jonah. Simon's dad's name was Jonah. He's blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal that to Peter, but he learned that by the Father revealing it to him. You didn't learn that from revelation from people, but from God who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter. You, you, you're, a, you're a stone. And on this rock mass, it's two different Greek words, one for Peter, one for rock. You're, you're a stone. And on this mass rock, foundational truth, I will build my church. What's that foundational truth? That he is the Christ, the Son of God, verse 16. Not that Peter is sinless or perfect or because he answered correctly, he, be, he becomes the head of the church. No, he doesn't say that. That's a, that's a complete assumption and a twisting of the text uh, by Catholicism. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul wrote, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is not Peter, but Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. Upon this rock, this rock mass, I will build my church. Notice, I will, future tense, build, construct, put together, my possessive church, singular. And many are aware that the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means called out group, assembly, called to assemble, called to come together, a common place, a common purpose, etc. Common authority. <clears throat> Excuse me, <coughs> about got strangled. Let me take a sip of water. <coughs> Pardon me. I will build future tense. My church, possessive, and then singular, church, called out group, <coughs> called out assembly. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail, will not be victorious against it. So all the powers of the unseen realm, including Satan and hell, all of that, no, will not be victorious 
over Jesus building his church. And when you connect that with what Jesus said later that I did not read in verses 21 to 23, Jesus began to teach them, look, I'm showing you. I must go to Jerusalem, <coughs> excuse me, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests. I'll be killed. I'll be raised on the third day. This is Matthew 16, 21. Then 22, Peter took, takes him aside and starts rebuking him and says, far be it from you, Lord. This will not happen to you. And Peter says, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You're a stumbling block to my purpose. For And here's why. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You're thinking about your will and your desires. I'm doing my Father's will, the things of God. And so Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of the unseen realm, all of that. Satan, his demons, his angels, all that. None of that will prevent me from building it. And we know Jesus' death did not prevent him from building the church because he rose from the dead. <clears throat> the death of Jesus was necessary according to Ephesians chapter 5, verse, let's see here, verse um, <clears throat> 25, uh, 23 and 25, that he's the savior of the body. The body is the church and husbands are to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. So he's the Savior of the body, the church, and Jesus gave himself for the church. He died for the church. He loved the church and died for the church. So the death of Jesus was necessary to build the church. That's my point. And he says, look, the gates of Hades will not prevail, will not be victorious over uh, me, uh, 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 over me, against it, against my purpose. And... Verse 19, I will give you, according to Matthew 18, 18, that would be Peter and the other apostles, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys signify authority and power. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. My footnote in my New King James Bible says, or will have been bound. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven or will have been loosed in heaven. And the New American Standard Bible renders the passage that way. It's not relegated to a footnote as in the New King James Version. The idea is the Greek tenses are that the apostles would bind on earth, teach and require on earth what had already been required of them by God. Not they would make up the rules for the church. No, it was given to them what God had already decided and that's what they taught and required and what they did not require what they loosed was what God had already decided was loosed verse 20 says that in that setting when Jesus was there in Caesarea Philippi and he taught them these truths he commands them the disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ Jesus the Messiah and no doubt when you put other passages together, that would be because his time had not yet come. It was not time for them to proclaim that exact truth that exact way. Not at that time, but the time would come. Now what I'd like to do at this point, don't lose me, I hope that was helpful to you. But now, <clears throat> you know, I started with, did Jesus build his church? Well, Luke records that he did. Acts chapter 2 records that. And verse 47 says the people that gladly received the word, verse 41, were baptized. 
and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That was on the day of Pentecost, approximately AD 30. But what I want to look into now is I want to consider the phrase, I will build my church. Did he? Yes, the scriptures record that he did. You see the letters of the New Testament addressed to the congregations, to the church. And, and it's there. It's a fact. And a lot of people acknowledge that. But I want to delve in more and expose some of the common errors that you hear taught in Christendom, in denominationalism. First, let me say, Jesus said, my church, singular. Yet many churches today that claim to be his church are not even named after his name. They don't even wear his name. Instead, they wear other designations and other names. And if you're listening to this and you uh, are a member of a Baptist church, Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Catholic, Mormon, etc., my question to you is, why do those organizations, why do you, dear listener, who profess to be Christians, call their groups, call their members, call their churches names and designations besides Jesus' name? Like Lord, Christ, God, Jesus. Why? I, I think it's because these other names signify other doctrines that are unique to that group, to that denomination. And so they call their groups, their churches, and their members fill in the blank. Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Episcopalian, Presbyterian. Mormon, etc. Truly, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, Acts 4.12. So why call the name of a church something besides Jesus' name? Please seriously consider this. But not only consider it, instead of just going along with the way things are. Seek out the truth and follow God's word. Don't, don't accept anything less. Second, Jesus said, my church, singular, but many groups, many professed churches, many churches teach otherwise. The, there are a lot of false ideas that contradict what Jesus said here. When he said, I will build my church. And then later you read Luke saying that the people who obeyed the gospel on the day of Pentecost were added to that church. In our day and time, in the many churches that exist, they teach otherwise from Jesus saying, my church. Here are some common ideas. One is the idea that it's, that it's acceptable to join a church. 
Okay. I could see where someone would say, well, I joined this congregation. Like, I'm already a member of the church, so I joined up with a congregation and decided to work with them. But when it, but, but when it comes to actually becoming a Christian, being born again, being saved, we do not join the church. We don't join a denomination. Because as I look at Acts chapter 2, and I hope that you will consider that with me, if you are able to open an actual copy of God's Word, as you're listening, if you're not because you're driving or whatever, listen as I read aloud. Acts chapter 2, after Peter preaches and the apostles, all of them, they preach Jesus crucified, verse 36, <clears throat> and resurrected. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or forgiveness of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he, that would be Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse, this crooked generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Verse 47 says, This same group of people that were added to them, they were praising God and having favor with all the people in Jerusalem. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So no one joined it. No one had to get approval. Hey, do the members, do they accept me? And so when these folks were baptized into Christ, they weren't baptized into Aaron's church or to, you know, Wesleyanism or Methodism or, or Baptist church or Catholic church or, or, or Seventh-day Adventist church, or any of these things. It was the church. I mean, that's what the passage says. The Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. And, 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 and here's the thing. Let's think about this a little further. So Jesus said, my church singular. But many churches say otherwise by saying, well, you can join it. Or... Find the church of your choice. See, by saying that you can join the Lord's church is to contradict what Jesus said and what, what the Scriptures reveal about how people at the beginning of it were added. They didn't join. They, by faith, obeyed, and they were added by the Lord, not, not by a vote or a popular vote of the members. And they were not, nor were they told, to find the, the church of their choice. You know, whichever one you're comfortable at, there's no such thing. That's a completely foreign idea to Scripture. And another thing that contradicts <clears throat> this singular nature of the one church and people being saved when they obey the one message and being added to it by the Lord is the mistaken idea that one church is as good as another. The Scriptures don't teach that. The Scriptures teach that the seed is the Word of God, Luke 8, 11. And that to know that, we have to study. And when we hear and we obey that one message, we will be added to that one body, that one church, not, not a denomination. 
Not, oh, one's as good as another. It don't matter which one you're a member of. Just find one where there's nice folks and they believe that Jesus is God's son. Here's the truth. There's not a one word of truth in any of those three statements that I mentioned. Join a church. Find the church of your choice. One church is as good as another. They're just common statements that people have accepted. The burden of proof lies on the person who teaches those things to prove with a verse of Scripture in its context that God approves of those ideas. And I, and I contend that He does not. On the contrary, Jesus said, My church, singular, and Paul affirmed that when he wrote that there is one body, Ephesians 4, 4, which is the church, Ephesians 1. 22 and 23. Now, Jesus also, in saying, my church, shows possession. And, and he showed in Scripture what makes his church his church. It's not wishful thinking. It's not, well, I profess to be a Christian, so that means I'm a Christian. It's not what my mama said. It's not what I say. It's not what grandma taught. It's not what my favorite preacher says. No, it's, it's what the scriptures say and what they teach. You see, the church recorded in scripture was made up of people who had, number one, obeyed his gospel. And two, they follow his gospel, his rules. There's no other way around that. Jesus repeatedly taught the necessity of obedience. Matthew 7, 21, 24 to 27. Luke 6, 46. John 14, 15. John 14, 23 and 24. And anyone who says otherwise, that obedience is not necessary, is of the devil. Because Jesus said we, we do have to obey him. Now let's break that down. Let's be clear. Sinless perfection is not required to enter heaven. But obedience to God's commands to be in the right location of salvation is required. You say, well, well what are they? Well, if you read through the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Mark 16... Luke 24, and you look to the book of Acts of how people obeyed the gospel. People were taught to have faith, Hebrews eleven six. 6, Acts 10, excuse me, Acts seventeen thirty. People were taught to repent of sin, Acts seventeen thirty. They were taught to confess their faith in Jesus as Lord, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And they were taught to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2.38, Acts 22.16. Now, by saying those simple truths from the Scriptures, many in Christendom 
would have already disagreed with what I've just said. And if you disagree with what has been said so far, let me ask you to do a few things. First, divorce yourself of any of your current beliefs about church. Second, go read the book of Acts and the entire New Testament. Third, ask questions as you read, such as, how did people become Christians in the first century? What work did the church do? How was the church organized? How did the church worship? It's very clear that the church recorded in the scriptures did not wear man-made names or descriptions. They did not teach man-made plans of salvation like sinner's prayer, faith only, grace only. And it's, it's clear from Scripture too, from the Gospel, that the church did not perform man-made worship practices like dancing or instrumental music or counting beads or praying to Mary. Instead, you see simple worship practices, song, prayer, preaching, communion, taking up collection for the work of the church. Now, I've said a lot, but let me ask this. Have I said something that either you disagree with or you know friends and family that you have don't agree with these things? My suggestion is if you don't agree, please go back and try to divorce yourself of any of your current beliefs about the church. Second, go read the entire New Testament, including the book of Acts. And third, as you read, ask questions like, how did people in the first century become Christians? What work did they do? How was the church organized? What did God tell the preachers then to preach to the church? And, and what did the church do to worship God? What passages, what indicators, what instructions were given as to worshiping God? And I'll accommodate the language, if I may, very quickly, of the Hebrews writer what were the divine, the ordinances of divine service? Hebrews 9.1. What were the ordinances of divine service of the early church? What was the liturgy of the early church according to Scripture? Now, if you have a loved one or a friend who, who does not know these truths, not know the gospel... I hope that you'll consider sharing this with them. Because what I want to promote is, is folks reading and studying the Scriptures. 
I, I want to be an individual who seeks understanding, who seeks to remove myself, and instead who seeks to take away from the Scriptures what God put there. And let that be the authority for my mind and my life and my practice. Jesus said, I will build my church. I think I may have a part two to this because there are some more things that I'd like to say that, that were characteristics of the church that Jesus built that you, that you see in Scripture. And contrast that with is that what you see practiced today? Something very serious to consider. Matthew 16. Did Jesus build his church? Yes. Luke records that he did. Paul wrote letters to churches, that is, to congregations of that one church. And I've emphasized in this podcast about the singularity of the church the possessive nature of the church and what it means to be his church. The church is made up of people who have obeyed Jesus' gospel and they follow his gospel. And those are some highlights in this podcast that, that I hope have helped you and that you can use as you seek to teach others as well. Thanks for listening to the Aaron J. Dodson podcast. I'm trying to get back to at least one or more episodes uploaded each week i really appreciate those who do download this uh, who listen who share i appreciate you so much i pray that god will be glorified if you have questions you can find me on social media you can message me if you have an episode request or a subject or something feel free to message me and i'll do my best and i'll be happy to keep your name anonymous this episode and every episode on this channel is brought to you by the Washington Avenue Church of Christ in Jonesboro, Arkansas. We assemble at 2001 West Washington Avenue, and you are invited to our services. We have Bible class on Sundays at 9 a.m., worship at 10 a.m., and 5 p.m. on Sundays, and we have midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We have classes on Sunday morning and Wednesday night for literally all ages, from cradle roll all the way up to 150 years old. And you're invited, and we'd be happy, we'd love to meet you and study God's Word together. Thank you so much for listening. God bless, and I will catch you next time.